Amen. Will you please, this morning, take your Bibles and open them with me to Mark chapter number 15. And let's begin reading at verse number 42. Mark 15, verse 42. This is Mark's account of the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It picks up on Friday afternoon, soon after Christ had died. Mark 15, chapter 15, verse number 42. Please follow along with me. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Chapter 16, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene the mother of, and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were there saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word and now minister it to our hearts it is true from cover to cover. We believe every word of it. We submit to every word of it. Now take it and use it to transform us so that we leave this room today differently than when we walked in. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If someone were to ask you what makes Christianity different from any other world religion? How would you answer that question? How would you, what would you say? 
There really is only one answer to that question, isn't there? And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he is not raised, then he is no different from Muhammad or any other religious leader, teacher, or prophet. The entire Christian faith hinges on the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus. His substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection is, as the Apostle Paul says, and as we read this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, a matter of first importance. Because if Christ is still in His grave, then we are still in our sins. And all of this (laughs) that we're doing every week is in vain. But if Christ has been raised, like Mark describes here in this passage, then everything changes. If Jesus is alive, then he is exactly who he said he was. The divine Son of God who came to rescue us from our sins. And friends, that is good news this morning. Because apart from his life, his death, and his resurrection for us, we have no hope of being declared righteous before a holy God. And so I want us to look this morning at Mark's account of this resurrection and find hope in our risen Savior. The first thing we see here in these verses beginning in 1542 is courage from a secret disciple. Courage from a secret disciple. Verse 42 of chapter 15 says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation... This is Friday evening, okay? That is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mention this man named Joseph of Arimathea. Mark tells us that he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, the the ruling council of the Jews. Luke 23, 51 says that he had not consented to their decision to crucify Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 57 tells us that Joseph was a rich man. He was wealthy, who was also a disciple of Jesus. But John 19.38 says that Joseph of Arimathea followed Jesus secretly for fear of the Jews. So we might call Joseph of Arimathea a closet disciple. And this brings us to a very early question of application this morning. Friends, are we also closet disciples? 
Do you keep your faith secret out of fear of what others may think or say about you or how they may treat you? Would your network of associations, your neighbors, actually be surprised to find out that you claim to be a Christian? This question calls us to do some some very serious personal examination this morning, doesn't it? But even though Joseph kept his, his faith secret, the secret was about to get out because he was the only one who came to take care of the body of Jesus. His disciples had all fled. They were gone. Who knows where? With the exception of John who was very likely looking after Mary in the aftermath of just seeing her firstborn son brutally crucified. Just imagine her mental and emotional state. But none of his brothers, none of his sisters had come to claim his body. It was just this secret disciple who had mustered up enough courage to go to Pilate and risk his reputation and ask for the body of a man who had just been crucified for treason against the empire. You see, the bodies of crucified criminals were often left hanging to rot on their crosses and to be consumed by scavenging animals as a deterrent to crime and a warning to those, to anyone who would consider opposing Rome. So it was no small task for Joseph to ask for Christ's body. That's why Mark says he gathered the courage to go to, to, to Pilate. But Pilate consented. Look at verse number 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he, Jesus, had already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Friends, notice the language here. Notice Mark's choice of words. Verse 46, And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mark gives very specific details because he wants his readers to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was actually dead. He was dead because any claim to resurrection could be easily dismissed if he was not really dead. And everything here in this text stresses that Jesus was in fact physically dead. He didn't merely pass out like the skeptical swoon theory claims. 
you read that in modern biblical scholarship, the swoon theory, that Jesus sort of just fell into a coma-like state and then revived in the coolness of the tomb. No, friends, he was dead. And his very real death and burial is theologically significant because it proves that he was truly human. But what a sobering gift Joseph of Arimathea had been given here to handle the body of the incarnate Son of God. I often wonder what went through his mind as he took the bloody and broken body of Jesus down from the cross. Was he he disappointed and disillusioned like all the other disciples? Did he lay the linen-wrapped body of Christ in the tomb and roll the stone over the entrance and walk away wondering what could have been, what might have been? We'll never know what Joseph thought as he was taking care of the Lord. But we do know that he cared enough about Jesus to bravely approach Pilate about seeing to his burial. And I wonder, friends, do we care enough this morning about the cause of Jesus to defend His glory even when it might be risky for us? Even when we might lose some friends. If we say, no, I don't live like that. No, don't use my Lord's name like that. Or would we have left Jesus hanging on the cross? Like everyone else. Oh, that God would grant us the courage of Joseph of Arimathea to stand for the cause of Jesus even when no one else will. Secondly, in this passage, we see not only courage from a secret disciple, but also care from some devoted women. We see care from devoted women. Look at verse 47. Mary Magdalene, And Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome. If you want to get technical, that's pronounced Salome. Bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. You see, like Joseph, these women had a deep concern that the body of Jesus be properly cared for. Mary Magdalene is mentioned in all four Gospels. Luke 8, 2 says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. But the misconceptions and myths surrounding her are numerous. She is commonly confused with Mary of Bethany, who anointed Jesus... She's confused with the harlot of Luke 7 who washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. 
But obviously Mary Magdalene, meaning Mary of Magdala, is not the same as Mary of Bethany. And the idea that she was the harlot of Luke 7 has no basis whatsoever. In fact, Luke 8 strongly implies that she was a woman of means who provided financially for Jesus during His ministry. But the most bizarre claim about Mary Magdalene, this woman who appears several times in these last few verses of Mark, the most bizarre claim is that she was the wife of Jesus and the mother of His children. (laughs) But that myth came from later Gnostic writings in the second century and beyond. This is the stuff that you'll read in Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code and see in the movie. Just fanciful nonsense. Very little is known about her from the four canonical gospels, but she was clearly impacted by the ministry of Jesus. Salome, the second Well, if we're going in order, I guess she's the third. But Salome was the wife of Zebedee, the father of James and John, the sons of thunder. The other Mary here was very likely Jesus' own mother, who was also the mother of James, one of the Lord's brothers. These women come to anoint the body of Jesus for burial on the first day of the week, on Sunday morning. And listen, I'll go through this to show you that all the details that Mark gives us here indicate what? That they expected to find Jesus still dead in the tomb. In fact, they go to the tomb already worried about how they're going to roll the stone away. Look at verse number 3 of chapter 16. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But verse 4 says, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Don't we often worry about things before they ever materialize? (laughs) I couldn't help but notice it was women here worrying about stuff. I couldn't help but also notice, and this is totally off topic, but since I'm, I'm going there, I'll go there. I couldn't also help but notice that Joseph did the heavy lifting And that these women took care of the tender, more nurturing role. Listen, this is our natural God-given gender roles working out before our very eyes right here, isn't it? Which is something I think we have completely just forgotten here in this country. But there is a thick irony here in this scene, isn't there? You see, these women went to the tomb on Sunday to do what had already been done a week earlier when Mary, another Mary, of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, broke 
an expensive box of fragrant ointment over the head of the Lord. And all the disciples flipped out. You remember that? Especially Judas because he said, wait a minute, this could have been sold for all this money and given to the poor. What a waste, Judas said. But Jesus rebuked his disciples and said in Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse number 6, he said, leave her alone. For she has done a beautiful thing to me. And here's the key phrase. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. (laughs) So while the disciples still couldn't figure it out that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die, Mary of Bethany was already anointing his body for burial six days before he was crucified. But here these three women come to the tomb to do what Jesus had what to do for Jesus what had already been done. All the clues were there, friends, that Jesus was not going to be in the grave very long. He even told them on three separate occasions, after three days, I will rise again. But nobody really got it, did they? Even these devoted women, these three ladies, yet here they were in the darkness of early morning visiting his tomb to care for his body. I love what Bishop Ryle, Bishop J.C. Ryle says about these three women. Listen to this. He says, We may well believe that it required no small courage to do this. To visit a grave in the dim twilight of an eastern daybreak would try most women under any circumstances. But to visit the grave of one who had been put to death as a common malefactor and to rise early to show honor to one whom their nation had despised This was a mighty boldness indeed. These holy women had tasted of our Lord's pardoning mercies. Their hearts were full of gratitude to Him for light and hope and comfort and peace. They were willing to risk all consequences in testifying their affection to the Savior. Bishop Ryle says, Why is it then? that we see so little of this strong love to Jesus among Christians of the present day? How is it that we see that we so seldom meet with saints who will face any danger and go through fire and water for Christ's sake? If you didn't know better, you might, be, you might think that Ryle lived through COVID. He says, there is only one answer. It is the weak faith and the low sense of obligation to Christ which so widely prevail. Friends, those are convicting words, aren't they? Those are deeply convicting words. 
Oh, that God would grant us this morning this kind of care and devotion in our hearts for the Lord Jesus that these three ladies had. We've seen courage from a secret disciple. We've seen care from some devoted women. And now lastly, we see confirmation from a heavenly visitor. Verse 5, chapter 16. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Obviously, this young man is an angel, right? The other gospel writers say as much. In fact, Luke says there were two angels there. But Mark is likely just honed in on the one who speaks here in verse 6. And he said to them, the angel speaking, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was what? Crucified. He has risen. In In the original language, it means he was raised. God raised Jesus from the dead. He has risen. He is not here. See, some translations say, behold the place where they laid him. If you don't believe me, look. (laughs) This, This angel wants these women to be eyewitnesses of what is taking place. He basically says, look at where they laid him. You know where it is because you followed Joseph here on Friday evening so you could come back today. But guess what? He is not here anymore because he has been raised. Verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Friends, please don't miss the grace in this verse number 7. This heavenly visitor, this angel, is saying to these women, Hey, Jesus, He ain't here anymore. Now go tell His guys, and go tell Peter especially. He'll be waiting for you back home in Galilee, just like He told you He would. Friends, every word that He speaks is true. He keeps His promises. You see, four days earlier, at the Last Supper, when Jesus, He's telling His disciples that they're all going to forsake Him. Judas is going to betray Him. Peter is going to deny Him. They're all going to be scattered. He embeds a promise in the bad news. Friends, there is always a promise embedded in the bad news. Mark 14, 27 says, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But... After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. 
And here's this angel just chilling out in the tomb. (laughs) All by his lonesome, waiting for these women to get there. Because he wants to confirm that promise. It is as Jesus said it was going to be. And friends, here is the promise for us this morning. Because the tomb of Jesus was only temporary, then the dark tombs of our lives are also temporary if we trust in Him. And the ultimate tomb of death won't hold us any more than it held Him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest hope we have. It is not a holiday. It is a holy day. It is the greatest hope that we have. And if your life is being built upon anything other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ... then you are building your own tomb. But then we have here, at the end, we have this verse number 8, the last verse of our passage. It is a bit interesting. Look at it with me. Verse number 8, Mark 16. And they... The, the three ladies, Mary, Mary, and Salome. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This was, this was a surreal moment for these women. And they ran out of the tomb speechless and afraid. And then for all intents and purposes, dear friends, the gospel of Mark comes to an end right here at verse number 8. If you have a modern, if you have a modern Bible, you'll likely see verses 9 through 20 in brackets. Or there will be some footnote attached because most translators, most even faithful Bible scholars don't, think that Mark actually wrote verses 9 through 20. We'll talk more about that next week as we finish chapter 16 and we finish the gospel of Mark. But I do agree that these verses after verse number 8 were most likely not written by Mark. His gospel, it just ends right here in verse 8. It ends as abruptly as it begins. That seems to be his style all the way through. And verse 8 says that these ladies said nothing to anyone, even though in verse 7, the angel says what? Go and tell. So Mark really closes his gospel then with an immense challenge. Will we, will, 
us, you and me, will we say nothing to no one, to anyone, even though we've been told to go and tell? (laughs) Will we proclaim the life, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ to the world? Or will we just run away in fear? There's a lot of fear in Mark's account of the resurrection, isn't there? That's actually likely why verses 9 through 20 were added later so that this resurrection account wouldn't end on such a dark tone. Joseph was afraid of Pilate. He had to muster up enough courage to go talk to him about getting the body of Jesus. These women were afraid of the angel. But friends, what are, what are you afraid of this morning? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it your, your classmates, your co-workers? There is no reason to fear anymore. Christ is raised. Now go and tell. And if you're here this morning or if you're watching or listening online and you have never forsaken your sin and trusted in Christ, I pray that this morning God would get a hold of your heart and drag you to your knees so that you do that. I pray that we all would see this empty tomb and know that Christ has lived for us. Christ has died for us and He is now raised for us so that we can be forgiven of all that separates us from a holy God. Friends, forsake yourself and trust in Christ alone today. Let's pray.